0: Well, welcome back to Trekology. Here we are yet again. Thank you so much for joining us, especially as we're rolling down here to the end of our first season. And if somehow this is your first time joining us, introductions are in order always. My name is Jeff, I am one of your hosts, and traditionally my co-host is my buddy Greg. But Greg is on vacation, so filling in is another buddy of mine, and this one is Adam. How you doing, Adam?
1: I am doing great, just consider me the Pulaski to Greg's crusher.
0: Oh, 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 no, that's not a good, that's not a good one. I don't, uh, you could have gone, I'm your, uh, I'm your Esri to your Jadzia Dax. And then we, oh, Ooh. also grown worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Although you're right because, uh, Pulaski, I mean, she didn't know she was filling in for one season, but then Greg will be back next episode. Not that Adam is not a welcome guest because Adam, you and I have known each other like how long now?
1: Oh, man. I mean, it's crazy to think about it, but, you know, uh, definitely more than 20 years. So, I wow. mean, we're we're hanging in strong two Dang. decades.
0: I know. What year is this? This is 20. 20- so, because it, it was like, like 20, it was like 1997, right? When we yeah. met, Adam and I have actually done two other podcasts together. Plus, I've done a cameo appearance on uh, his other podcast. In, in our long backstory of not only being friends, but also podcasting together, the dynamic always kind of seems... Seems that Adam remembers one thing and I remember a different thing and I usually assume my memory was the correct one so I don't I don't know that's probably my own arrogance but Adam do you remember when we met
1: well, I do. As I recall, it had everything to do with a talent show yes. where I was performing and uh, doing the classic Chris Farley sketch from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it, you know Matt Foley, the motivational speaker who lived in a van down by the <laughs> river. I was a little heavier in those days. I rewrote it for you know uh, to make it apply to our school. And you were on the tech crew for this talent show. And after the fact, you and our friend Justin came up to me and said, "Hey, yeah, you're." You're so, you're so funny, man. We love that skit. That, that's true. what I recall.
0: Yep, yep. You definitely stole the show. I think the second night, do we really do two nights of a talent show? <laughs> Whew, that's a bold move. So I was backstage because we were doing spotlights the first night, and I was backstage. And Justin over the headset was like, dude, you got to go talk to that Matt Foley guy. So I did. Uh, and then, and now the second story, there does seem to be an early Star Trek connection. Whereas, Later that year, we were both in theater and I had a number of friends come over to my house for lunch and there was a Star Trek interaction. How do you remember this one going?
1: Yeah, so definitely, it was a lunch break. It was a very long Saturday rehearsal. And when we got there, I remember making a microwave pizza, as I often raided your freezer. I'm sure your mom did not appreciate it. Uh, But (laughs) then you were playing this Star Trek, like, 25th anniversary computer Mm. game, if I remember correctly. Indeed. And uh, you had... (laughs) Let Justin take over for just a moment while you were getting some lunch yourself. And he almost uh, started, you know, uh, a great war and the the (laughs) Federation was never going to be the same again. And of course, from the kitchen, you scream, what are you doing? You invaded Klingon airspace!
0: Yeah, yeah. And that exact line haunted me for many years hence. Even though, if you've ever played Star Trek 25th Anniversary, which is still one of the best Star Trek video games ever made, all the original cast voices, all of that, you were supposed to fly to your next mission, but you didn't have to. You could fly into the neutral zone if you wanted to. Why would you ever want to? You've seen Star Trek 2. You know what happens, don't you? <laughs> Justin either did not know or willingly wanted to just go pick a fight with Klingon. So he was wrecking the whole thing. Plus, back in those days, I mean, I guess we didn't have auto-save. I don't know. The whole, like, saving and then going back to your save game feels like that wasn't always around. Like, since that time... um, Obviously, Adam and I have stayed buddies, but Adam, what would you say, like, what's some of your background, your history with Star Trek as a an overall thing?
1: Well, yeah, you know, first off, I do have to say I am a dedicated listener to Trekology. That's I... true.
0: That should be pointed out.
1: Yeah, because this has definitely been a part of Jeff's just life. Like, I know Jeff is the Star Trek guy. Like, of my friends, he is the (laughs) guy to go to. There have been many philosophical conversations. And so to hear him take that tack with this podcast just makes so much sense. It was inevitable. I actually think the first time that I saw Star Trek as a concept was through a parody on Muppet Babies on (laughs) Saturday mornings. Yeah, I remember (laughs)
0: that one
1: but also seeing commercials for the animated series. They were playing reruns on Nickelodeon Hmm. back in the day. I actually still have a VHS tape that has that commercial on it. So (laughs) it's kind of crazy, but uh, I remember I started watching next generation in uh, 1988 or about, you know, it had been on a little while and I had a, these family friends that we would go to their house, like on Sunday nights. And I remember in our local area on KCOP 13 Mm -hmm. channel 13 was running the uh, star Trek, the next generation. So they always, it was like appointment television for them. So I would catch episodes at their house. Hmm. Uh, But then I started tuning in on my own because I think it moved to weekdays eventually, like it was some weekday night, not just Sundays. As I started watching, then I like you know I bought the trading cards, I bought some Playmates action figures. I actually still have my Communicator toy right in front of me here. You know the little nice. one that you could just put put on your shirt, and it doesn't make noise anymore. I got to replace the batteries, but uh, so like so I definitely was on board with Next Generation, and then. In 1991, I, you know, because I was excited about that, I was like, oh, there's a new Star Trek movie. So Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, I got to see that at the movie theater. Wow. And then I went two more times to theaters for some of the next generation movies. I think I saw First Contact and Insurrection with my hmm. brother. But I never saw Generations. I didn't see that until I found it on VHS a few years ago and finally watched it. I was like, oh, I didn't miss anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But... Speaking of which, I just got the twenty-fifth anniversary Star Trek movies box set at Goodwill. Wow. It just goes up to Final Frontier. <laughs> so I, it, you know, but it's the one where like all the sides of the tapes go together and make the Enterprise, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And, but it was funny because I remember this, you know, the six tapes, you know, that included Undiscovered Country. So I guess they just like stretched it out a little bit and then Weird. we released the box set. Um okay. But, but then as far as like the, the TV shows, like I watched deep space nine sporadically. I mean, I know it's your favorite, but like, I only watched it enough to get familiar with the characters. I liked Quark, you know, that was about it. I too did for the first episode of Voyager, it was kind of baffled by the caretaker or whatever this old right, man yeah. with a beard was. So I, I only watched like two or three more episodes, but nothing beyond that series in the nineties. Like I didn't get into to the bacula years or any of okay. that, um, now my wife though has binged all of the series. Wow, she's she's seen more Trek than I have thanks mm-hmm. to streaming. Mm-hmm. So she just gets dedicated, watches stuff all the way through. So I've I've jumped in and out on series since then, uh, but more I would say like in theaters, like I enjoyed. The J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, so we will not. Uh, how dare you? How <laughs> dwell dare you? on that? And we've <laughs> talked about that on Sequel Quest. We tried to correct the the Kelvin verse, so <laughs> we tried to say, how could you do a good sequel that fixes things? So if you ever want to go back and seek out that episode, but and I've also recently, like, I watched the first four episodes or so of Picard, but I lost interest. I've heard good things about Lower Decks, but I think Greg is still the authority on he that is. show. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's about where I'm at at this point.
0: For those of you that are unfamiliar with Adam's other podcasts, he he if I'm the Star Trek guy, Adam is the Retro guy. Like he, you know, you've been a writer. How long have you been a writer? Are you you're still a writer for Retro Days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't contributed for a while because I, I have uh, been teamed up with the Retro Network uh, more so these days. Okay. But yeah, I've, I've been writing about you know old toys and video games and TV shows and whatever for the better part of probably about 15 years wow. now we're coming up on it, which is crazy. So
0: Okay. And it's interesting because Star Trek and Retro, like for a lot of people, those would go hand in hand, but it doesn't feel like you run across Star Trek all that often in your retro explorations.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something where it's a fabric, you know, part of the fabric of pop culture and entertainment because it's just always been there, mm. you know, for so long. And I think a lot of the stuff that we focus on with retro things are things that were maybe a little more rare or disappeared or didn't endure as long. They were limited. You know, like the Star Trek okay. universe continues till today, but yeah. when there's something that was just there for a moment, and you're like, remember this? Wasn't that cool? <laughs> like, that. that's kind of where... All the people in my retro world get excited. They're like, oh, yeah, I can't believe it.
0: Same thing with Star Wars. You could. There are parts of Star Wars that are retro, but because people haven't forgotten about it, it's it's not yeah. quite the same. Interesting, interesting. Okay. One thing that Greg and I always like to do, although you kind of already worked us up to today, but any, in the last, like, two weeks or so, any, like, current Star Trek dabblings or anything that you're like, hey, I just saw this thing on?
1: Not as far as, like, current Star Trek output, but more so, like, getting into a Star Trek thing that I recalled, and I was like, I need to finally read this. If I'm going on Trekology, let me see what this is about. (laughs) Um, And that was, there was a Star Trek X-Men crossover comic (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and i had you and greg on briefly uh as part of a a little discussion on one of the mini episodes of my wizards podcast and it was one of those things where this is just like a one-shot comic it was not uh you know like a series or anything like that but it was in 1996 and it was basically like kind of a jam issue and by that i mean like they got a bunch of people that were you know fairly recognizable comic book artists and each artist got to do like two pages of the book and usually they wow. were like a splash page so everybody got to do their interpretation of the original crew hmm. and the X-Men together in an adventure but it but it was all one story but it was just interpreted slightly different you know each each page each panel it was pretty good like as far as a story goes i'm sure it means A lot more to someone like you, Jeff, because you read a lot of X Men comics. So, for example, you remember Proteus. He could like jump into other people's bodies and things like that. Okay. And so that's kind of what happened here. You know, the basic premise of the story is there is this guy named Lieutenant Mitchell who apparently died. And then Proteus goes into his body and then he teams up with uh, the sister of Professor X is like great love of the, you know, who's like the queen of the Shi'ar empire, but her sister's name is Deathbird, and she's bad news. And so now she's teamed up with Proteus in the body of Lieutenant Mitchell and they're doing all this stuff. And so the X-Men and the, you know, the Star Trek crew end up getting together. So anyway, it was was just, it was kind of interesting. Like I said, I I feel like it would mean more to you than it did to me. I was more interested Hmm. in just the experiment of it all, (laughs) but then I also recently picked up, uh, there were some novelizations or novels, I guess, you know, uh, expanded universe stuff for Star Trek The Next Generation of one was uh, Star Trek Next Generation and X-Men Planet X. And this was a novel that was actually a sequel because they had already met in a different story. Uh, so this is like them getting back together, like Worf and Wolverine are old buddies now and all this <laughs> stuff. So it was pretty funny. Like I, I read through a few pages, you know, like the first, you know, quarter of the book. And I was like, oh, this is pretty neat. I I like what they're doing here. So those have kind of been my, my delving is going into kind of the 90s crossover stuff with X-Men.
0: All right. There's been a lot of X-Men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, cross-pollinization happening it sounds okay okay for for me uh well actually it's it's kind of indirectly a star trek kind of experience is uh, uh the last episode that we did we were talking about the warp drive and about uh not only how we're getting like how we are with warping space and all of that as far as science is concerned but even the concepts of matter and antimatter and and that we're closer to that than one might think so I read an article just today that was talking about how close we are getting to nuclear fusion. So not fission, which fission, which is you know the separating of two atoms, that's what happens in a nuclear reactor. Fusion of fusing two atoms together is what happens in the sun. Is that if we could figure out nuclear fusion, one nuclear fusion plant could power the entire world without any hazardous byproducts because there's nothing left when you fuse two materials together. Um, And the crazy thing is, so they've been experimenting with this. They have a huge thing in, uh, oh, I forget where the the place is located, but they're building an even bigger one. And the problem is to fuse two things together, you need to generate heat that is, I think they said it's twice the temperature of... um, the core of the sun. So it's like 15 million degrees Celsius. So there is hmm. nothing on earth that contain that much heat. So they have to generate a magnetic field to keep that heat in. And they can only sustain that for about five seconds. So they've been managing to do fusion for about five seconds right now. But with the new thing that they're currently building, the scientists are estimating within 30 years, we could have figured out fusion and be able like that's a reality that could be coming within our lifetimes Wow!
1: it sounds like that's why cold fusion is the thing that everybody exactly. wants it's like you don't have to generate all that power yep. that heat okay right
0: right and that's because that's the ir- irony is that right now it takes way more power to generate the fusion than the fu- than we can practically use anyway one one small step right isn't that what they say Somebody said that somewhere. So anyway, speaking of small steps or large steps, my friends, uh, if you are if you did join us last episode, you know that we are in the middle of our tech months, where we are going through the tech of Star Trek. This time with Adam, especially, I thought it'd be great for us to talk about the holodeck. Or the hollow suite. If you are unfamiliar, I don't know how you like, if you've, I'm assuming you've watched Star Trek if you're listening to this, but if you're somehow unfamiliar with the holodeck or the hollow suite, typically that was in Next Generation Deep Space Nine and beyond, where they had this like, in Next Generation, they had like this room with all these like yellow lines, and then a hologram would turn on and it could literally be anything and anywhere. You could interact with it. You could do all that sort of stuff like that. And they would always talk about hollow emitters, force fields, and hollow matter. So, Adam, I'm guessing you've seen some of these holodeck episodes?
1: I have. Here's the thing. Like, in the world of Star Trek... The holodeck probably fascinates me the most of anything. Just the story (laughs) possibilities there. Because, you know, the standard Star Trek stories of, like, diplomacy and conflict and negotiation between alien races, it feels... Too close to real politics and world affairs for me. <laughs> it doesn't quite hit the sci-fi pleasure center I'm looking for, sure. but the idea of a virtual or fabricated environment and the ethics of interacting with and using that technology, that's all very entertaining and intriguing to me. So I definitely, especially, you know, in preparation for the show, I went and I watched a few more. Some, you know, some that I had seen before and some that I had uh you know was saying, like, oh, okay, I, I think this would be a good one for me to check out as I was looking. Up the uh, episode descriptions.
0: You actually texted me and said, "Hey, which ones should I should I watch?" And I, uh, ironically, I was thinking about your text really this entire time, but I never actually <laughs> responded
1: because yeah. I'm like, "Ooh,
0: what's the three best holodeck episodes?" So I'm curious, which ones did you pick?
1: Well, so first off, the one I watched uh, first and foremost is because I recently picked it up on VHS at Goodwill, and that was a copy of Elementary Dear Data. Good.
0: Okay. I was going to suggest that one, I think.
1: And then, of course, I had to then check out the sequel, Ship in a Bottle. Awesome. Yep. So I had to find out what happened to Moriarty there. Uh, But then I also wanted to check out Future Imperfect. Because that was a, a very uh. interesting use of the holodeck for some for some you know uh, nefarious purposes. So I thought that was cool. Okay, which um, one was that? Refresh my that, memory. That, that, that's the one where uh, Riker thinks that he got basically oh, like yes, yes, he yes, lost yes. his memory and now he's old. Yes, he's got a kid and all okay. this stuff. Yep. But does he? Yeah, right. I didn't watch a whole lot of Deep Space Nine, so I. I kind of looked into a few things, you know, like there was one, like it's only a paper moon Ooh. where it was kind of used as therapy kind of yep. to help that way. There was then They're like kind of a more like this is bought a big, bought a bag or his way. Right. Like this, this Vic Fontaine character. Yeah. They really love that guy. Huh? Oh, yeah.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> uh, but what I had seen, I remember back in the day was, uh, take me out to the hollow suite, right. you know, the baseball <laughs> episode. So I, I, watched that again. Cause that's just fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then the, finally, I just, I checked out a couple Voyager episodes. So the one that really spoke to me, I was like, Ooh, this is going to be good. Cause it was a multi-episode deal was flesh and blood about the doctor. And then all these other, uh, basically programs from various, uh, holodecks that band together basically to fight against their creators. There was an uprising, a rebellion, wow. like that was really cool. Huh. Uh, and then bride of Chaotica. Which is just pure nonsense. It was just like <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, Paris is like, I love this old fifties serial. Oh, let's yeah, go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. They do did that.
0: too much with that because I, I feel like they went back where he's supposed to be like, isn't he like Captain Zoom or something?
1: Basically, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so
1: oh. th- those were the ones I, I explored.
0: Excellent. Okay, good choices. Good choices. Do you think if holodecks were real in today's day and age? would people... I think the fear is no one would ever do anything ever again. They would just live in their holodecks forever and ever. Do you you think that's true?
1: I don't... Like, for example, I have seen documentaries about people who get into the MMORPG world, right? Like, people who are obsessed with World of Warcraft to where they literally, like just don't want to go to the bathroom. They don't want to do anything. They take time off work. They like, cause they got to finish this campaign. <laughs> and I think there are a few obsessive people, a mm. small part of the population that wants to escape entirely or has that, you know, brain chemistry that says, once I'm in this, I don't want to let go. I've got, you know, I, I got to explore every possibility, but I think in general, most people would use it from the perspective of, you know, entertainment purposes. Mm. Although there is this thing now called the metaverse online that people talk about this whole concept of, well, then you could just use it as a new space to interact with people and, you know, uh, you know, do transactions or whatever it's going to be, whatever, you know, form that takes. So I think uh, people will still always long, for the actual, you know, real-world interaction unless they do not have that in their lives. Mm. And all that they can do or so they feel is exist in that virtual space.
0: Interesting. That is even a question that I think has come up uh, with the pandemic, is that, you know, we spent a long time doing doing business, doing work all through Zoom, and I did find it really interesting that there, are typically or stereotypically, I would say, older folks that te- invalidated that form of interaction where they said, like, it will never be interacting through a camera will never be as good as interacting in person. I guess that my, my pushback has been some of the uh, younger students that I worked with were way more comfortable especially the introverts they were way more comfortable on zoom than they ever were in person and they opened up and they were much more open in front of their computer screen than they were in person and so i wonder i mean again that's not exactly the same sort of a thing but that yeah that that changing form of interaction that if mm-hmm. you could put on some virtual reality goggles and you could interact with your neighbor and you guys could go run through the field, virtual fields or whatever together, is that a less valid form of interaction than doing it physically in
1: person? I have a, a nine year old at home and he and his buddy get together, literally the next door neighbor. They get together and they play but then they also then put their computers side by side and go into the world of Roblox and oh, yeah. play a game together in a virtual space but they you know they still want to be side by side like they don't ever do it like oh you're at your house and I'm at my house they just they they do it together but at the same time i'm sure they would have just as much fun you know if they were like calling each other up okay you know get on now and then okay you get right. on now like so and i i will say for me Like I, I, again, we're of a different generation than this younger set that's coming up, but Mm -hmm. like I've had so many great friendships that have formed over the years in the online space, Mm. whether it is on, uh, you know, like some type of forum or it's been on Twitter and like these things have evolved into real relationships where I meet these people in real, you know, real life where we go and do fun things together. So I think like, I, I always like it as an introductory platform and there are some people that just, you know, distance is the issue, but like right. if I had my druthers, I would want to actually meet up with so many of these virtual or online friends, I guess.
0: Right. I know I was thinking about like, you just, uh, well, we both, that's the other thing I haven't pointed out. Adam and I actually have the same, same birthday we were both born on may the 12th and i noticed on the birthday party a majority of those guys there were like podcast buddies right had you met have you met all of those guys in person
1: uh i have all but one uh, yeah so all oh no actually i'm trying to think no he was at retrocon too so yeah so we there's this big retro convention that happens every year in pennsylvania so yeah i, I met him last year or two. Yeah, so so all of those people, I've eventually made the jump. But some of them, mm-hmm. I've been to their houses. I've had barbecues with right. them. You know, like and all those types of things.
0: Interesting, but you've established, and and a majority of your contact has been through podcasts Correct. or the internet or something like
1: that. Mm-hmm. It all started there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually the holodeck at least, is not that per se. I mean, it's usually yeah. not a person. Sometimes it's a person in there by themselves interacting with a virtual environment, but usually it's two people in person. In fact, I don't know of any time where they've had, like, two people that are not physically present in the same space interacting through a holodeck environment.
1: There's a story um, to be told there, Jeff. Oh, totally. That's totally. That's a new one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, other question, though. Beyond the, the temptation to get sucked in and to never leave and all that sort of stuff like that. If you had one opportunity to experience a holodeck, do you have like a program that you think you would want to do?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, the holodeck is just like, okay, what is the thing you dream about Mm. and that that you wish you could hold on to that dream when you woke up, you wish it was still happening, you know? And so for me, like, it would definitely be a rock star program. Okay. So, so I would be inserted as the lead singer of some of my favorite bands, like whether it's kiss or the misfits or the smoking popes, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) it, it would just be like a scenario where like I would, get picked you're like yeah you're a new singer come on man and then you know you'd have the the crowd out there and uh, just all the fun that goes along with with the rock star uh experience for a night you know or for a few hours of doing the concert you know so i think honestly like that's the thing that i would probably just boot up over and over again you know that's what i would ask the computer for
0: so along those lines you should see i don't know if you've there's there's an episode I, i can't remember the name of it where data is trying to figure out what humor is so he generates the greatest comedian of all time and it's joe piscopo and joe (laughs) piscopo tries to teach him what funny is but he's data so he's not funny until i think it's joe piscopo like the, the the character or whatever programs the audience to laugh at anything that data says and so that that actually was pretty funny that the whole and not only that it was supposed to be Robin Williams but Robin Williams couldn't make it so they're like Joe Piscopo was kind of hot at the time so they made Joe Piscopo the the comic so for me Star Trek in general would be my fantasy to be on like no. you know a spaceship a starship like all of that so the thing about going into a holodeck to pretend I'm somewhere else is kind of like but this is where I want to be I don't want to be somewhere else <laughs> So one that does make, that does have a, for a number of reasons, does have another tinge is, uh, the, the episode in the sixth season of Next Generation, uh, called Relics, where Scotty, uh, Montgomery Scott makes an, uh, an appearance. He has the holodeck recreate the original Enterprise bridge and goes in and gets all misty eyed and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. I kind of like that, like that, that. Especially because, like, if if we're talking about next generation, the original Enterprise would be legendary. And so we're talking about looking at this, this would be like a historic sort of a thing. So I really, I, I kind of like that. I mean, to to say nothing of, you know, to say like, hey, and replicate Kirk and Uhura and Spock, everybody doing their thing. And I just kind of get to join the crew or something like that. So I think, assuming that I'm... On the bridge of the Enterprise D, that might be that. If this was a non-Star Trek, like this is just my natural world or something like that, and all of a sudden someone shows up with a holodeck, it might, yeah, it might be some form of a... Some form of a Star Trek simulation, I think.
1: Well, Jeff, so I have to say, you know, those things did exist in the real world. I know that there was the the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. My brother and sister-in-law went to that before it disappeared back in the day. Uh, And also, my friend... His dad and his uncle were also in. I forget what it was called specifically, but it was an attraction at Universal Studios Hollywood, oh, yeah. where, where you would go and they would uh-huh. actually like you know green screen you in and dress you up as a Klingon or a member of the crew, and you would act out these different scenes and they videotaped it and then you got to take the video home. And I yeah, used to I watch that at their house, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it was so funny, and I just I I can't believe you never got to do that. I wish yeah. you could have been in that.
0: I mean that. Was was kind of before my time because I seem to remember hearing about that, but I was a little young. I don't know if I was actually into Star Trek back in those days. Mm. But um, but we just went to Disneyland and one of the right we got to go on both Star Tours and um, the I think it's called Smuggler's Run, where it's kind of like Star Tours, but you're in the Millennium Falcon. And the cool thing about Smuggler's Run is that you're actually, you know, you're you're supposed to work the controls. So, like, I was an engineer and I needed to push these buttons, you know, at certain points and stuff like that. But there was something about that that's just, it wasn't quite, I don't know. It was nice, it was cool, but I knew it was fake. So I do wonder that even with a holodeck, would there be a certain level of... I don't know, a separation or something? Or is there some level of reality where you're like, okay, now I buy it?
1: I I think it is It's more immersive in the fact that, for example, if you're in a real world experience where it's just actors playing parts, Uh you kind of you know that facade is there and you're saying, okay, this is a performance. But in the world of the holodeck, as I have experienced it in watching the show, like these are programs that to their knowledge, except for the few that gain sentience, um, <laughs> they, they believe that they are part of this world. They are part of this scenario. So nothing about it would ever ring false. And so I think, right. the old, again, it would, it would all be on you, but I think because you're so surrounded 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 by a scenario where everybody is 100% in it, that you would easily fall into that, I would Mm. assume.
0: I wonder. I wonder. Okay. So I was looking, I was doing a little bit of research to try and figure out where are we as far as today's technology and the holodeck. And the one which we'll talk about in a bit, which is the easy one, to, which is VR. But VR is not quite the holodeck because, like, and again, what the holodeck is proposing, the technology is the idea of holograms, force fields, hollow matter, a thing that is a hologram. So basically, light projected, which does have substance, which somehow you can pick up and you can manipulate light. Which that, we don't have that technology. We don't know how, and we're not anywhere close to really understanding how we could manipulate a hologram, except... In 2009, apparently, the University of Tokyo created something which is, is in a different way. Basically using mirrors to create the hologram itself. Using motion sensors so that your motions are manipulating the, the image. And then using ultrasonic force emitters to create this, the illusion of pressure and touch they enabled some form of that which as i was thinking about that i was kind of like that sounds fairly close where so you're you're reaching out for a thing to try and touch it when you touch it it does react and you get a sensation on your fingers of touching something so it's kind of like could that progress to such a place where you know, it's actually feels immersive like that. I don't know. I mean, that that also could be, I'm really wondering if that's, do you perceive it that way or do other people looking at you perceive it that way? That mm-hmm. I, That I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is a fascinating concept, you know, because there there's been, like you say, you know, the idea, you know, I I love a movie theater experience, right, that has mm-hmm. D box seating, you know, oh, yeah. the whole concept of, you know, it actually moves and vibrates and it it takes you into, you know, the the movements of the world, or like for example, I was just watching on Disney Plus the World According to Jeff Goldblum, okay, and there there was a whole thing where he was a kind of exploring the world of VR and and where that has arrived and he actually had an experience where you know they put like the goggles on him and now he's like they're like you're a seed and so you're a seed that's growing up and now you become a tree and now you live in this forest and he's like oh everything's beautiful and they made all these smells and all these different you know tactile things for him to touch as he's going through that but then the forest caught on fire so that now there was smoke going through and now all his you know everything is burning, and he's like, "Oh no, my family!" Every you know, so it was like this full, like you know, emotional experience. It was they were like really trying to bring that, but like you say, like that is all like production. That's right. it, it's not the exact sensation of what you're you know, for example, this Japanese uh, you know group was able to create like with that force and that feeling. Right. Because like I I actually have the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual that I also got at Goodwill. Okay. So I was reading up on that, and I just I find it so fascinating that, yeah, like they're saying that it uses those force fields in order to create that whole experience of, oh yes, there is actually something here. You know, in addition to the the replicator technology, which they say it says. Matter conversion subsystem creates physical props using replicators. Replicator props are generally created when an object is likely to be touched by the participant. Sub props are animated under computer control by precision guided tractor beams. Mm. But then the holographic imagery subsystem creates three dimensional images of simulated environments. Shaped force beams give physical substance to foreground objects. So they have the illusion of being solid. Um, and then they have the substrate force field creates treadmill effect permitting participants to remain stationary while the simulated environment scrolls by within the limits of the simulation program. It says various holographic, optical, and acoustic techniques were applied through the years, finally giving way to a series of breakthroughs in small force field and imaging devices that not only did not seriously impact starship mass and volume constraints, but actually nurtured hyper-realistic flight-critical simulations. So there's Thing, you know, like how it was originally being used in the history of the Federation there. But just that whole idea of the, like I say, the force field is fascinating yeah. to me. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to go up to the sting and now you're going to say, oh, there's resistance or I'm being punched or whatever, right. you know, is happening right. in the scenario. I'm being pushed and that force field is pushing me away. Like the, that, the that's such a substance. great idea. Yeah. yeah. Which is
0: interesting because, yeah, again, the the, the concept of a force field like, that's the interesting thing where sound waves at the ultrasonic level can be utilized to replicate force, can push. And so, uh, yeah, to, to, to u- like a, a highly tuned ultrasonic force that could create or simulate something like that well you um, think about
1: even just feeling like when you're at a, a rock concert and you feel the bass yes, hitting you exactly. you know from the drums or from the bass guitar whatever right. it is you know you're like whoa okay
0: uh i went to the county fair just this last weekend and they had uh the esports uh wing and there was a whole vr laser tag and vr escape room Because it does feel like VR right now kind of reminds me of like Nintendo 64. Like it kind (laughs) of looks like it's a little polygon and it's a little... But N64 didn't last very long before PlayStation, PlayStation 2, Xbox was coming out. And now you look at this 4K stuff that looks, you know, crazy realistic. I fully believe VR is going to get there. Um, But again, VR doesn't have the the simulation of touch you can manipulate your environment as long as you have and it even makes me think about like um uh like motion capture like they did for like uh lord of the rings with Gollum and stuff like that they have little ping pong balls all over so they literally can i mean if you wore a full ping pong ball suit with goggles it could fully capture every single one of your motions uh, but and you'd be able to manipulate the virtual environment but the immersive part of believing that you're in that environment—that's the one that does, again, does seem like that's the trick.
1: Because you can you can simulate every little piece of it, yeah. But ultimately, it's like it's yeah, like you say, when you don't feel the physical sensation completely of being in that space, that it's hard to accept right.
0: it, right? And so there's plenty of ways of. Tricking the mind basically into thinking that something has happened that's not actually happening again, a jostle to you know make it you think that you just got hit by an asteroid or whatever. That definitely seems like, yeah, something that's uh that's doable.
1: Well, and, and we will say that even from the perspective of people accepting holograms as entertainment, you know, we have those concerts that happen now with performers that have passed on and then they project them on a stage, you know, as holograms and mm. people are excited to see Tupac or Michael Jackson uh. or whoever it is. And like they get the same thrill, even though technically they know they are not really there Mm. but you put yourself in that moment especially if it's a thing you desire you want to have that experience again or for the first time and you're Mm. like wow there it's happening right there so it's kind of like you're not directly interacting but it feels like a an early step to people saying, yes interacting you know with holograms is something we would be willing to accept
0: yeah interesting okay because, like, for me, on the flip side, like, I just went to the mall yesterday and there was, I think it's, is it Robin's Brothers? It's something that has a virtual assistant, which is like a face. Have you seen this? Where it's like a face projected onto a cardboard body? No. Oh. That terrifies me. Yeah, I'm I like, bet. And I'm like, is she looking at me? Because <laughs> if she is, I'm leaving. Like, I don't want to. But, you know, you when you walk by, it's like, hello, how are you today? I'm like, what is going on? So But
1: like, but does that so I have a question about your understanding of the holodeck and maybe you were heading this way, but yeah, you know, interacting with the program itself. So aside from again, like the physical aspects of it and uh-huh. wanting to believe and, and be there that way, like do you feel like artificial intelligence then is a key component of the holodeck. Does it count? Ca- because you guys have had that discussion. Like, yeah. does it count as artificial intelligence if it's a program that just knows how to react to each situation? Like, obviously, we talked about, you know, elementary dear data and ship in yeah, a bottle yeah, yeah, where yeah. there is actual, you know, a sentience that occurs on some level. Right. But, like, but do you feel like that is a part of the holodeck experience? Or is it just, oh, well, this is the pre-programmed thing and you walk through it?
0: It does kind of def- depend on our definition of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Is that Because artific- apparently, my phone has artificial intelligence. Google is artificial intelligence, so right. it's not necessarily like in like human intelligence or like or like you said, sentience. Although apparently, right. even sentience we've been using incorrectly. So right, yeah, you guys had the whole that discussion. <laughs> um, but for me, I think about like modern video games. So like one of my favorite video games is called uh, Mass Effect. They actually made three Mass Effects. And what I liked, one of the things I liked so much about the Mass Effect game, there were certain points where you had like a choice to go this way or that way. You had to choice who to like try and save or who to um, like take on your team or something like that. And the choice you made in the first game would have ramifications in the second and in the third game. So, for me, I love that 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 made it feel even more immersive. I am actually controlling my own destiny. Now, if you just teleported me into that game, like as a holodeck, then i feel i mean again that's why i love video games is that i feel like it's reacting to me and it's my choices have you know don't get me wrong there are certain rules even in video games like you want you you run up this cliff and you can't get any further because the game is stopping you like okay there's certain things like that that are built in but at least for me i feel like that gives us that gives me a enough freedom to allow me to feel like i'm experiencing it so I don't know. That that seems sufficient to me.
1: Well, so for example, like in the future imperfect uh, episode, Mm -hmm. like the thing that wakes up Riker is that they talk about his wife that he can't remember that died and then he's like oh now I remember who you're referencing and they say yes it was a character in the holodeck that you had romantic feelings for and our research showed that you had very strong feelings for that's why we thought you would believe it and then he goes on his explanation as to why that didn't work for him but like so that's another scenario right is if there's, you know, this artificial intelligence or this program that is like, you know, your ideal mate or your ideal friend or whatever, right. Would, do you feel like you could have a real relationship that you would believe or that you would want to believe in the scenario? You know, earlier I was talking about people that are real that I'm interacting with yeah. and then I find the way to meet them in person and continue the relationship. But in this case, you could only have it on the holodeck. Yeah. So for you, is that something you would be open to? Do you feel like that? Like, like you know what I'm saying? Does that feel right. wrong? Does I mean, of feel... course. Like
0: in, in the long run. So I'll even go back to Mass Effect. So one of the interesting things in that video game is that you can choose to romance a certain character, and then the character responds, and then you have certain choices, and if you make the wrong choice, and like, oh, get out of here, and they get turned off, and then otherwise, <laughs> and again, and that romance has has effects, and like for me. And I'm a pretty like I get invested in my video games and stuff like that. So like, there's a part of me that kind of has a crush on this girl that I'm romancing, and and I've heard like other video game nerds kind of talk about like, oh, Caden from the first Mass Effect, my heart, uh, like my you know my long lost (laughs) love or something like that. But that only goes so far, and I think that was what came out of of the Riker thing with Minuet is that. There's a certain level like yeah you're reacting, yeah, you're doing all of these sort of things because you know certain certain human interactions are not terribly complex, you know uh, on, on a certain level, but eventually I feel like that's unsustainable like long term. Um, and it could all, almost be just kind of the you know your own self-awareness of, mm-hmm. you know, is is a program responding to me the way that I want it to respond sufficient? That would be wonderful for a time. But long-term, I feel like, I don't know, my own psyche would, you know, I want someone that's going to disagree with me from time to time or, I don't know, something like that.
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting because that's kind of something that's uh, a theme it's dealt with in a film that I really enjoy, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Huh where there is this whole concept of you know, in the first Blade Runner, it was replicants. So a physical, you know, creature that is created. But then in the world of Blade Runner 2049, there's these holographic projections. There's this, you know, uh, thing you can buy called Joy, who is this woman who could be your ideal companion. Mm. And the main character of Blade Runner 2049 is kind of struggling with that, where he wants to have that relationship and he does everything he can, you know, where where it can now be mobile. Where it can now, it has to project itself on a real woman if he wants to have any physical experience with it. All these interesting pieces and, and parts of it. But like, um, I think like for me, only in comparison to other relationships do I think that I could get emotionally invested. So for example, this might be a hot take, but I'm not <laughs> a pet person. Okay. Okay, so my family loves our cat and our dogs. I just see them as obligations I have to feed and clean up after because all they do is chew and scratch and get hair everywhere. So I love my children and my wife. So I feed them and I clean up after (laughs) them all the time because I want to make their lives better. I have an emotional investment in them. I love them, but I have no emotional connection to any animal that would justify my taking care of them. Like, oh, you're so cute. I want to feed you. Like I wouldn't think that way and so i take care of animals only because they matter to my family so again it's tied to the physical you know real person in my life but my point is i would likely invest emotionally more in a holodeck program imitating life than any living animal that is forced (laughs) into my daily routine you know i'm not a serial killer i'm not like (laughs) oh you know i torture small animals because i don't care about them if a if a if a dog was sad or whatever you know sure. sad again i'm projecting that on that but if a dog is whimpering and it needs help with something i would probably do it but i'm just saying in general like a human being even a human being that is created by a computer I would definitely invest more emotionally than, you know, I would a different life form. So so I find, like, in a holodeck scenario, I could see that happening and saying like, oh, you know, this character is so interesting. Like, I hear people, there's another video game called Disco Elysium. That I find uh, has very similar explanation to what you're saying about Mass Effect that I've heard about on video game related podcasts. And it just sounds like, yeah, people like, you know, I really like this character that they have designed and that they have programmed to react a certain way because they seem to be a better person than I'm playing in the game, you know? (laughs) And I feel bad when I hurt their feelings in the game, like, because that's a possibility, you know? So, like, So I I just find that whole concept as well, like, again, like the ethics of that, like, is it okay to emotionally invest in, you know, a simulated life form or you know like if, if it's something that helps you is that good or does it prevent you from having real human interaction so is that bad like you know there's, there's so many places to go with that with the holodeck being a, a real possibility.
0: Right right well and that's kind of that last part that we've done the last couple of episodes is talk about some of the pros and cons of this technology so talking about some of those cons like one that I'm thinking about along those lines is like you mentioned about like ship in the bottle where ship in a bottle some somehow Moriarty apparently becomes self-aware as a program but he is still a self-aware program and then he goes off to live the rest of his life on the holodeck with the countess who is not a self-aware program who is just a unself-aware program but he, who was programmed to be the love of his life now he as a self-aware being Seems perfectly content with that. Like, he's off to live his best life. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, is that a con of the holodeck? It definitely seems like... I mean, I would say the creation of Moriarty somehow. Holodecks seem to man malfunction quite frequently. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be a uh, a con. I don't know. A- any other... I mean, does that... I don't know if bothers you or any other things that you're like, yeah, that would not be good about a holodeck.
1: The thing I wonder if you're in like that fantasy scenario where something you want to be like, for example, we're, we're talking about, you know, the replicator technology for food. Like the thing I didn't consider is, you know, like, you know, on the bridge or not, probably probably not bringing your food on the bridge, but when you're, when you're getting food, you know, from a replicator on the enterprise or any starship, like, okay, you, you get your food and that's, that's what you needed. Now, if you're in a fantasy scenario do you think you would indulge yourself more? Would it be mm. bad for your health because oh, I'm in mm. this fantasy scenario. Now I'm drinking more alcohol. Yeah. Or I or you know, or I'm overeating because it can replicate my favorite food and I want to relive, you know, my eighteenth my birthday over and over again. You know, like or something where you know, like whatever, you know, you are indulging in, does the the holodeck ultimately uh enable you in a way that maybe, mm. you know, it would be detrimental to your health mental and physical
0: yeah well that was what i was going to say too like the one that that makes me think is um lieutenant barkley is there's an there's an episode where lieutenant barkley has recreated most of the bridge crew like in his fantasy and especially like counselor troy as his love interest and i think we're supposed to assume that he's acting inappropriate not inappropriate well i mean yes inappropriately but nonetheless using someone else's image to live out your fantasies definitely seems like if not a violation at the very least unsettling and yeah Yeah. certain levels of indulgence that might not be um yeah, it's it's like maybe it'd be good if our if our imaginations did have some limitations to them. So <laughs> anything you can imagine, oh dear, like. <laughs> well,
1: but I also think another con would be the fact that that technology could definitely be used, like it was in Future Imperfect, for the purposes of, of deception. you know. Yep. Yeah, deception, absolutely. I mean, yeah. like that's like the hardest thing is you you would wake up not knowing you're on the holodeck, you're in mm-hmm. a simulation, and then what is happening, what you're being taken through. I mean, in that uh, Moriarty, in The Ship in a Bottle, like Picard you know, gets put into a scenario and data is like, yeah, I just realized we are in a program right. and he gave away the codes to control the ship. Uh-huh. And so Moriarty is now in control of the ship, you know, like how much it feels like that would have happened way more to, you know, to that the Federation would have had some protocol, but maybe that was the first uh, experience with that. Cause right. the first time a program ever wow. became sentient. Yeah. So I guess that <laughs> would be the justification. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. At the very least. Which, on the flip side, that does create some of the pros. Like, there's been at least one episode. In fact, you know what? You even said you saw Insurrection. That was the whole premise of insurrection. Is they were going to create a massive holodeck to yeah. try and re- relocate these people. Now that was done under nefarious circumstances, but there have also been cases where it's like been used to help. Where it's um, whether it's like, hey, their planet is going to be destroyed and they're like too primitive, they're like going to be wiped out, so we can transport them without interrupting their society. Even like you mentioned, like Paper Moon with uh, Nog, where Nog is going through post traumatic stress, uh, and he uses the holodeck as kind of like this this comfort, like escape from reality, until he's able to face reality again. Uh, same thing well, with... and
1: he, he says specifically, it's so interesting in the Bada big Bada bang episode yeah. where they're helping out the Vic Fontaine character. He's like, Vic, helped me realize I had value and all this stuff. Like yeah. basically like the program talked him through all those issues. And so like it becomes a valuable thing in that way. Right. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, there's, again, there's been multiple different ways that it's been used, like, for counseling and stuff like that. One thing that we don't see it used a whole lot for, but I think is valuable, is, like, training. Uh, is that, you know, it can be used for deception, but it could also be used... I mean, I guess warf Warf is always down there training in the holodeck, it seems. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: but, you know, you could be doing... I don't know, phaser training or, you know, even well, ship simulators and stuff like that. It, it
1: sounded like you weren't super familiar with the Flesh and Blood episode oh, from Voyager. Yeah. But that's basically the premise is so the doctor is kind of, you know, he's been given, you know, his uh, technology where he can now roam the ship, you know, he, uh-huh. you know, he can leave the, the med bay and all of that. But what happens is there are these programs that were created by this other alien race that the Federation gave them the technology of the holodeck oh. so that they would not hunt other people and create problems. And so now they kill these, you know, simulations, but then they wake up and they, it happens over and over again. It's like being an NPC, you know, in a video game. And so it's this, that's the scenario is they start like they, they basically become sentient. And one of them like leads this uprising and transports all these other, uh, you know holodeck characters uh, onto a you know a, a ship where they could all exist, and the doctor gets pulled in, and is he like you know being pulled to their side? Because yeah, maybe I should have you know more choice in my life, and you know they were like saying I'm I'm waking up every day knowing I'm going to be killed. Like huh. is that moral and then they allowed this to happen type thing? So that's kind of the whole point of that. And, and wouldn't you also fight for your right to exist sure. without fear and pain? and all those things because they program them to actually feel pain, you know, and the doctor gets killed in a simulation. He gets stabbed. He's like, what happened? He's like, yes, that's what we experienced every day, multiple times a day, you know, type thing. So it really is like, that, that scenario where you're like, oh, wow, you know, like, it can, that, that could be, again, that that's kind of like the moral idea of, you know, as a con, like, uh, do we feel bad about right. allowing these, you know, yeah. these characters that have been programmed to die and feel pain?
0: Right. Well, so. and I mean, even go back to, like, yeah, that episode we, we talked about artificial intelligence where it's how intelligent like are we talking here mm-hmm. you know and and the weird thing is is that i think our technology we would like it smart but not too smart you know i <laughs> don't want my phone at some point when i turn it on saying nah i'm going back to sleep like no 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 i don't want you to yeah. be able to have the 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 will to do that <laughs> So my hunch is, like, if we create a if we create a computer program, you know, again, I'm going off and I'm playing Call of Duty. Do I want all of these NPCs that I'm, you know, shooting? Do I want them to be living beings? No, of course not. That would be horrible. Like, I want them to just be, you know, programs that have no that are just, you know, a couple of lines of data that don't have any self awareness or mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. But then once, yeah, you advance them technologically, um, that uh, I'm sure that becomes a challenge. Okie doke. Any other uh, pluses or minuses that pop to mind about uh, what, especially for this one, would especially be like a Star Trek holodeck would have?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I specifically, uh, you know, read in the technical manual that there is, you know, a purpose of it. You know, obviously you, you were mentioning training and all of those things as well. But, you know, it talks about that it is. The means by which you know people can actually relieve stress, right? So, so I think that is a very good con is that you are stuck on a ship for yeah. however many years. Your mission, you know. So, so you have the ability to actually de-stress and travel and do all the things you need to do in order to you know maintain your sanity and not you know uh, you know become a problem for the the crew, your fellow mm-hmm. crewmates. You know. So I I think that is is. The true value and that is where i would see in the real world too you know ultimately that could be a value when used uh, responsibly and in moderation
0: yeah <laughs> i mean that's a good point and i don't think we we think about oh we were watching a, a world war ii movie uh and they were on a submarine And it's like, it's crazy to think about serving on this tin can where you're literally, I mean, they'd be underwater for I don't know how long at a time in your little teeny world that that's, that's all like, man, how do you not go crazy in there? And these people are in space And, I mean, yes, we see, you know, especially in the original series, we see Kirk and, you know, McCoy beaming down, it seems like, every week. But not the rest of the crew. (laughs) There's, like, 300 people on that ship, and most of them don't get off, like, ever. And so, yeah, for them to have some form of simulated sky and simulated outdoors when you're in space, you're right. I think that would be a big deal psychologically that I don't know that they dip into a whole lot in Star Trek, but I think that would definitely be a benefit.
1: Yeah, and I do think it's just funny, the idea of using the holodeck to give an artificial intelligence like data the ability to have a more human experience. So you're using, you know, this, like, like, and, right. you know, again, you guys went into all of that, but the idea that the holodeck could be used to then create, you know, the more human version of technology that we might fear for that mm. uprising or whatever it might be. <laughs> like you're saying, it's no longer the line of code that we put into a body that could move around. Right. Now it's, you know, taking on the next step. You're like, oh, okay, so maybe that's the, Maybe that's in the con category, but maybe in the pro category for as long as it's not dangerous. Exactly. So maybe that one cancels itself out.
0: <laughs> exactly. I always thought it was really interesting with uh, the Vic Fontaine character is that he was not quite self-aware. They never really specified where he was aware that he was a program. He had the ability to turn himself on and turn himself off, but he was not Moriarty. And they were just kind of like, that Felix, he's a genius. Like, I I don't know how they do all of that. But it is, yeah, again, towing that line is interesting. And, again, I mean, that's the thing that they didn't wrestle with as much with Moriarty. That I think, like, if you have that capability, are you playing God? You could literally create and destroy these life forms at will. And that's terrifying. But um, that's that's maybe a different, uh, yeah, a different aspect of that. Yeah. All right, well, that for the time being is the holodeck or holosuite, my friends. Um, Again, in the recent or in the relative near future, I don't know. I mean, if we all go out and get an Oculus, I mean, is that the next phase? I don't know. I don't know. I always loved the Kinect for the Xbox. I thought that was really going to make it, but then they canceled the Kinect, so... We got what we got. Like you said, Adam, we still have... Well, do they even still have D-Box chairs anywhere?
1: I have not encountered them. I think you can still buy them for private in-home use. (laughs) I want to save up and uh, see if I can get one of those before it's too late.
0: Dang! So most people out there are probably unfamiliar with a D-Box. It was like a motion chair that was synced to the movie that you were watching. So it was pretty epic when it was done right if you saw a good movie for it. But... We are where we are, my friends, and speaking of where we are, we are towards the end of our episode, so Adam, thank you so much for joining us, uh, or joining me, really. I'm the only one here at the time, so uh, <laughs> it's a blast, always, my friend. Um, for everybody else who's out there, where can they find you these days on the internet?
1: Well, I, I like I said, I'm very connected to a website called The Retro Network, Uh and they are, have a YouTube presence. And uh, so if you want to see me, for example, opening up old packs of Star Trek trading cards, ah. I'm part of their Wax Pack Flashback series where we open up a new pack of, well, a new pack, new to us, but old to you, <laughs> vintage pack of trading cards from the 80s or 90s. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Of course, Jeff mentioned my Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. That's my main passion project these days where we go through through the pages of Wizard Magazine, which was a very popular and influential publication in the 90s and 2000s for the world of comic books. So if you remember it fondly, you can find me anywhere you want to. We're on Twitter, at Wizards Comics. Uh, You can find wizardscomics.com. But uh, also, you can just find me on Twitter at Hoju Coolander. Good luck with that one. Uh, (laughs) But if you can put it together, you can find me there. I'm always posting relics of days gone by. And so I'm happy to share my latest VHS finds or thrift store treasures, old toys and books and whatever things that might uh, tickle your nostalgia bones. So that is where I live and that is what I do. And, you know, we talk about the holodeck. I can't believe I didn't just say that I would uh, want to walk through an old toys r us while sipping on some ecto cooler
0: so (laughs) (laughs) i believe it i believe it and by the way if you're listening and you're like man jeff and adam are just the bees knees i would love to hear more of them we do actually have two old podcasts that we did together one is called sequel quest which that was the big one that ran for what five years
1: Yeah, almost six years, yeah. Six
0: years, my goodness. And then the (laughs) other one, both Adam and I worked at Disneyland and we made a, a podcast about it called The Two Goofs Podcast, which I believe has a new episode sometime near, huh?
1: Yep, that'll be out soon. So by the time you uh, hear this one, you'll probably be able to hear that one too. So you can just search that on YouTube or your podcatcher of choice, the Two Goofs Podcast.
0: Excellent. We will be there as well. As for me, Greg will be back in uh, uh, our next episode and we will wrap up tech month by talking about phasers so that should be an interesting one we will dive into that next episode my friends but for this episode adam you know how we end every episode yes yep all right so for this episode my friends
1: live long and prosper
0: peace and long life yeah